Okay, Boker Tov. This week we have the uh, privilege of reading Parshas Kisavo. We actually have the privilege of two bar mitzvahs this Shabbos. So a lot going on. We get to hear a lot of Parshas Kisavo. And um, Parshas Kisavo is most uh, famous for having containing the Tochacha, one of the two parshios that has the rebuke uh, in it. But it also uh, should not be neglected that it's chock full of other mitzvahs, and particularly the beginning of the parsha, which is we're going to emphasize. We're going to focus on this morning. So, Perak the beginning of chapter 26, is the beginning of the parsha. You got it? Stone Chumash, page 1068. Says the parsha, It will be when you enter the land that God is giving to you as an inheritance, you will, uh, you will inherit it and you will dwell in it. Both. Says Rashi, "Vayaki savo v'yirashta v'yeshavta magid shelo neschayvu bebikurim at shekavshu es haaretz v'chilkua." The mitzvah we're about to read about, the mitzvah at the beginning of the parsha, is the mitzvah of bikurim, the obligation to take one's first fruit to Jerusalem, to Yerushalayim, to the temple, to the kohen gadol, and to undergo a certain ceremony that permits the consumption of the rest of your food. So. The uh, Rashi says, you see that this mitzvah does not begin until they conquer the land of Israel. That's why it says, It's only after you uh, conquer and inherit the land does it apply. Exactly. Says the Balaturim, what's the connection? The Balaturim, many commentaries always struggle to understand what's the connection between one parsha and the next. Says the Balaturim Kisavo, The end of Parsha's Kisaytse is, of course, the story of Amalek. Is the Parsha of Amalek. It's what we read for Parsha Zachar and Erev Purim. So, Balaturim, what's the connection between the obligation to destroy Amalek, and then immediately connected, it will be when you enter the land? Says the Balaturim of Yaakov ben Asher, We're commanded to erase any trace, any memory of Amalek. When does that obligation begin? When you enter the land. So the connection between the story of Amalek and Bikurim is two connections, says the Balaturim. Number one, where is the mitzvah to destroy Amalek when you come into Israel? Says the Gemara and Sanhedrin, the Rambam, the Shachanor codify when not Shachanor, the Rambam. When you come into Israel, there are three mitzvahs. Number one, two. Destroy Amalek. Number two, to appoint a king. And number three, to build the Beis HaMikdash. So the obligation to destroy Amalek applies when you come into the land. And the second connection, that's why the end of last week's parsha, destroy Amalek. Beginning of this week's parsha, it will be when you come in the land. Number two, the connection, he says, is in the process, in the ritual of the Bikurim, in the service of the Bikurim, we mention Arami Ovidavi. We mention anti-Semitism in Jewish history. We mention the desire to destroy the Jewish people. So, that's a clear connection between the end of last week's parsha, Amalek, whose goal it is to destroy the Jewish people, and Arami Ovid Avi, there was once an Aramean who sought to destroy our people, we'll talk about that in a moment, and that we acknowledge as part of the Bikurim ceremony. So uh, that's the connection between the end of last week's parsha and this week's parsha. I mentioned, uh, you know, all the 9-11 ceremonies, uh, commemorations, this past weekend, last weekend, the uh, 10th anniversary, so I saw a priest who was interviewed, and he was asked a question, a very pointed question, that for uh, Catholics, they believe in a philosophy of turning the other cheek. So they asked him, was it wrong to go into Afghanistan after 9-11? Should we have turned the other cheek? 
was it wrong to go into Afghanistan? And you know who he answered? He said, yes, we should have forgiven. So I tweeted that. I tweeted the connection to the article. And I said, you know, Torah couldn't believe more the opposite. And how appropriate. The end of last week's Parsha was Amalek. Amalek, we have to obliterate Amalek. You have to obliterate evil. You turn the other cheek and you are an accomplice to evil. We believe a different philosophy that you have to obliterate and purge the evil from your midst before it's like a cancer that grows. So the connection of last week's parsha, this week's parsha, Amalek leads into the the reminder of Arami Ovid Avi that uh, through our history there have been those who have sought to destroy us. So what's the mitzvah? We continue. Actually, before we continue, the Kliyakar. Kliyakar points out that this language, that we inherit the land and then we dwell in it, is somewhat unusual. Says the Kliyakar, The only two times we see that dual language, that you will inherit the land and you will dwell in the land, is here, in the reference to the mitzvah of Bikurim, and one other time is the mitzvah of a melech, a king, the law of the king. You know what happens after you inherit a land? You go into a land, you conquer it, and you dwell in it, and you build your beautiful houses in it, and you set up your communities in it. And you know what you're at run a very high risk of? Arrogance. It's us. We're strong. We're mighty. We've conquered. And then you're going to want to be like all the other nations of the world. You're going to forget your unique identity, your distinct status. You're going to want to be like everybody else. In Yanis Soros, you're going to want appointments. And there's going to be uh, a desire for power. It's a beautiful kliyakar. So he says that's why the mitzvah bikurim applies after you conquer the land. After you conquer the land and you plant in your field your first fruits that you harvest you're obligated to bring to Yerushalayim. Why? To remind you that land that you think you conquered that land that you think that you planted and that you sowed and that you worked on and that you nurtured and that you harvested that land that you think you've sacrificed and you fought for and therefore you think it's all about you the first of your fruit bring it to Yushalayim dedicate it to God remember humble yourself so Bikurim for the Kliyakar is an exercise in humility don't be arrogant don't think that your condition is because the result of your hard work alone. You conquered the land. You worked. You worked the land. You served. No. Take your first fruit and go to Yerushalayim. And that will humble you. And that's why the Pasuk is formulated, Ki <laughs> When you'll come to the land that God gave you. Yes, you have to exert effort. Yes, it takes human initiative. But don't ever forget, you come to the land that God gave you, the Yerushalayim, that you inherit. And that you have the great merit and the great privilege of dwelling in. And then take your first fruit and acknowledge to God a sense of appreciation, excuse me, a deep and profound expression of gratitude that you realize it all comes from Him. Take your first fruit and bring it to Him. It's not an inheritance in a complete sense. See, an inheritance in a complete sense has nothing to do with my merit. If a person's parents die and they by law are scheduled to inherit, they inherit. If they're in the will, they inherit. Or if there is no will, the next of kin inherits. Nothing to too independent of their merits. It's independent of their worthiness. It's independent of their living up to the 
the uh, standard of the parent. If they're scheduled, they're determined to inherit, they inherit. Says the Kliyakar, it's not so with God. The land of Israel is not our inheritance in the sense that it's unconditional, it's absolute, it's in the will. So Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov left it to us. No, that's not, it's a different type of inheritance. Normally an inheritance is, if a parent leave it in a will, it becomes ours. Says the Kliyakar, it's not an inheritance that works like that. It's an inheritance from God. And it's a matana amanas lahachzir. Matana amanas lahachzir means it's a gift that is the possibility of being returned. It's not a gift that's absolute, it's a gift that's conditional. What's the condition? That we reciprocate the love to God, we reciprocate a desire to observe His will, to meet His needs, to follow His orders, and we not neglect Him. You should not display an attitude as if you've inherited it. It's mine. What do I care? What do I need you for? I inherited it, God. You can't change it. It's unconditional. Right? If you display this attitude that, God, too bad, I inherited it. Right? You come to court and you show the will and you say, this is my money. I inherited the account. I don't really care that you think I'm not a good guy. What does it have to do with what kind of guy I am? I have the paperwork. It shows that I inherit. Says God, no, there's no paperwork for Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Yisrael is not an inheritance from Avram Yitzchak and Yaakov in the classic sense of wills and estates. It is an inheritance from the Almighty and it's a conditional inheritance. It's not an unconditional one. So because you run that risk of arrogance, of conceit, because you run that risk of thinking the land is yours because of your hard work, therefore the first mitzvah, you conquer the land, you plant, you harvest your first fruits, you bring them to Yerushalayim and you realize... This land is a gift from the Almighty. It's a conditional one and we can easily lose it. And that's what he acknowledges. The Kleaka, the Rambam writes, the mitzvah of Bikurim is an exercise in humility. It's an exercise in humility. Which is so critical to understand. You say, well, God needs fruit. What are you bringing fruit to you, Shalayim? God can't get his own fruit? Why do I have to work so hard? I water, I plant, I sow, I harvest. And then I got to bring my fruit to you, Shalayim. God needs fruit. God likes to taste the fruit. So of course, it's nothing to do with God. Bikurim is parallels davening. It parallels korbanos. It's a form of service. And every type of service is not about God. God doesn't need our prayers. And God doesn't need our sacrifices. And God does not need our first fruit. Who are we doing it for? We're doing it for ourselves. We're doing it for ourselves. It's such a basic, basic uh, concept. Unfortunately, it's lost on so many. I mean, how many, how many unaffiliated um, or ignorant Jews if I had this conversation with them they think prayer is ridiculous God is I literally had this with a very prominent Jew who was a celebrity who said to me what do I need God is so arrogant he needs our prayers all day long and he couldn't understand the suggestion that prayers aren't for God he doesn't need our prayers he doesn't benefit an iota from our prayers he's infinite omnipotent and perfect prayer is an exercise for ourselves to go through so the same thing is true with Bikurim for the Ramah for the Kliyakar Bikurim is an exercise in humility if I work hard to harvest this first fruit, and the very first I take to Yerushalayim and I dedicate it to God, psh, that's an exercise in humility. I grow from that experience. We're going we're gonna to develop that more in a moment. He got it to Lashon Avar. 
right? The, the Pasuk says that you take your first fruit and you place it in a basket and you give it to the coin and he waves it and then he places it in front of God and then you say, you say to him, the word I said today is in the past tense. You haven't said anything yet. Wait a minute, you come to the Kohen, you make a pronouncement. I said today. You should say, I say today. What do you mean, I said today? Why is it in the past tense? You haven't said anything. It's beautiful. The fact that I um, have come here today, I've made a statement just by cutting down my first fruit and bringing it today. He got it to Hayom. I've already made a statement today by being here right now with my first fruit that I get that it's not all about me. I've made a statement today of humility that I understand that it's all a gift from above. It doesn't say God gives you from the first of your fruit. You take from the first of your fruit. Because the act of your actually taking from the first of your fruit, tongue twister there, the act of your taking from the first of your fruit and bringing it to Yerushalayim is in itself indeed a great statement. And that's why in the uh, statement it's Vihigarati, in the past tense, I have made a statement already by being here. It's an expression of gratitude. So a beautiful interpretation of the Kliyakar, exercise in humility, you're taking the first, and your attitude to all of your subsequent Harvest will follow what you've done, the expression you've made with your first fruit. Again, you have to understand, you have to put yourself into the mindset of a farmer to appreciate. What's the parallel for us? Is that you work really hard and your first paycheck you bring to Yerushalayim and you hand that first paycheck to Hashem and you say, this is for you. Why? Are you, understand what that would accomplish. You work really hard. Let's say you get paid at the end of the month. You get your job for a month, you work hard. You show up in the office early in the morning. You stay till late at night. You work, 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 work. The sweat of your brow, you toil. You don't take a break. You, you, you kill yourself to work. And now you earn that paycheck. And you take that first paycheck to Yerushalayim and you hand it to the Kohen and you say, God, this is for you. What's the statement? The statement is that God, even though I understand that I showed up at work, I worked all those hours, I put in my effort, I showed my initiative, I realize, God, that my success is dependent on you. Now you get to go back to work and the rest of your paychecks you get to keep put in your own bank account. But what will you feel with the remainder of your paychecks? The subsequent paychecks you will carry the attitude that you began with the first one. And Vihigarati says the Kliyakar. You come, you arrive to the Kohen, you hand in the paycheck and you say, I made a statement today. And you indeed made a statement. What was the statement? By coming here, by taking off work, and by coming here, and by handing you my first paycheck... I'm making a statement. And so that's a great exercise in humility. It's a great exercise in appreciation. So what do you do? What's the mitzvah pasuk base? Right? So 
You take the first of your fruit that you bring from your land that God gave you, you place it in a basket, you go to the place that God has designated, the place that God has chosen to, for His name to dwell there. Interestingly, by the way, the Torah doesn't explicitly state Yerushalayim or Harabais. It's reference. Hamakom is the place. We know that. We know it's the place Asher Yivchar Hashem that God has chosen. But the Torah doesn't explicitly state it. Every farmer, whatever farmer, if you weren't a farmer, then you didn't have this mitzvah. If you weren't a farmer, you didn't have this mitzvah. What are you bringing? Me reshis. Look at Rashi. Velo kol reshis. Interesting the verse says, you take meireshis from the first of your fruit. It doesn't say you take all of your first fruit. What do you see from here? Tithing. Not tithing. You're taking from your first fruit, not all of your first fruit. What you see from here is, she'en kol aperes chayavam bikurim. Not all fruit are obligated in bikurim. Elashivas haminim bilvad. Seven the seven species of Eretz Israel of Israel, it's only those seven species, the first of which you're obligated to bring. How do you know that? Nemar Khan Eretz. It says in our Pasuk, Kisavar al Haaretz. Nemar Lahalan Eretz, Chita Saura. So you see a combination of Eretz, Eretz Ma Lahalan, Mishivas Aminim, Shinishtab Chabahan Eretz Israel, Afkan Shevach Eretz Israel, Shem Shivas Aminim. 7 and 7, so you see that it uses the same term Eretz, so therefore it's the 7 species, the first of your fruit of the 7 species are the ones you're obligated to bring to Yerushalayim, to fulfill the mitzvah of Bikurim, but the first of your uh, orange tree, the first of your apples, you're not obligated to bring. It's specifically of the fruit of Eretz Yisrael. Um, That's a great segue. May Rishis, look at the next Rashi. Adam yore l'toch sadehu. Viroa te'ena shebachra. person goes into their field and they see a fig which has blossomed. Korech aleha gemi l'simen. You tie a string around it. You look, which is the first fruit, literally. I have a fruit tree, I have an orange tree in my backyard and you keep looking at it when you walk by and where's that first little, first little orange that comes out? Now again, an orange you wouldn't be obligated to be kurim. Whatever the equivalent is, the first fig. Your first little fig and you tie a string around that first fig which emerges, which blossoms. And now when it fully blossoms and it's ready to uh, pluck, that's your fig that you bring to Yerushalayim. What's the shear of, of oh, the Look at the Ramban. It says the Ramban Nachmanides. We're obligated to remove the fruit in the field and to designate a name. So you bring it into your house. You put it into a utensil. You get a nice piece of Tupperware that can protect it when you travel to Yerushalayim. And you bring it to the Beis HaMikdash. Says the Ramban, the Pasuk never gave us a measurement. What's the minimum measurement? Is it a kezayis, an olive? Is it a kabetza, an egg? Is it, what's the minimum measurement? Anything, a tiny nothing, is enough to exempt your whole field. You fulfill the mitzvah with a tiny nothing. 
So it's fascinating. It's very fascinating. Rabbi J.J. Shachter, one of my teachers, points out this great insight. So you look at the Rambam, you look at the Mishnayas of Bikurim, you see that the ceremony of bringing Bikurim to the Beis Hamikdash was unbelievable pomp and circumstances. There was a parade and a musical accompaniment and you came to the coin and there was a basket and it was a waving and a presentation and he would place it in front of a Mizbeach and, and uh, you would recite this uh, recitation uh, dialogue back and forth, Arami Oved Avi. It was a major ceremony. It was a major parade. It was major pomp and circumstance. And what was it after all? It was a tiny little fig. Rabbi J.J. Shachter would say, it was a little figula. It was a little nothing. It was a little nothing. In great contrast, Trumas and Maestros, the farmer every year, Maestros, there was a cycle, seven-year cycle, but Trumas, every year you're taking off either a 40th, a 50th, or a 60th, depending how generous you are. Maestros, you're taking a tenth, 10%, 10%. You're not taking a little figula, you're taking 10% of all your figs. And yet, what was Maestros? Here, no parade, no musical accompaniment, no recitation of a text, a liturgy, no ceremony with a Kohen, no pomp and circumstance, there was nothing. Why is it that Bikurim is a huge to-do over a little fig, and Miser is, is, uh, is nothing when you're giving so much more volume, you're giving 10%. So he said the following. It's a beautiful insight. When do you give Miser? You grow all of your field, you harvest your entire field, you see everything that you have, and you give 10%. And guess how much you get to keep? 90%. 90%. We're going to talk more about that on Shabbat Shuvah and the mitzvah of Meiser having to do with tzedakah. You give 10%, we focus on the 10%, we forget that we get to keep 90%. It's pretty generous of God, considering He's the one who determines how much we get. Meiser is after the fact. You already know how much you're going to have. When is Bikurim? Your first little fruit grows. You snap it, you snag it. The first one you take, you run to Yerushalayim. You have no idea if your tree is going to produce anything else. You have no concept of what else you're going to get. This might be the sum total of your harvest. This might be everything. And yet, you're prepared to give it to God. Wow. What an expression of faith. What an expression. What an exercise in humility. What an expression of appreciation. What an expression of understanding that all that we have comes from the Almighty. When you don't know yet what is to come and you still go to give it to God, that's a much greater and therefore it's accompanied by all of the pomp and circumstance. Isn't that a component of the sacrifice of Yitzchak by Abraham? He didn't know he was going to... Right, children. He didn't know what else was to come. Absolutely. Again with Meiser. God doesn't say, take your first paycheck... We don't have Bikurim with money. He doesn't say take your first paycheck and give it to God and you have no idea if you're going to have any more paychecks. He says at the end of the year add up all your paychecks. 90% of what you got it's all yours. 10% give back. Again, we'll talk more about this Shabbat Shuvah. So this is the Ramban. The, 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 the shear, the measurement is not mentioned because there, it doesn't exist. There's a no minimum measurement. You take a little fig, it's a little nothing. And that is the mitzvah. Because when it comes to Bikurim, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. When it comes to Bikurim, it's not how much you're giving, it's the fact that you're giving the first. It's the fact that when you give it, it's the only. And you don't even know for sure, you don't know with certainty that there's more to come.
says the Orachayim, Vahayaki Savo El Haaretz. It'll be when you come to the land. Look at this Orachayim. Omar, Vahayaz Lashon Simcha. Bracious Rabbah, the word Vahaya always indicates joy. Whenever you see in the Torah the word Vahaya, you know that somehow there's something happy, something joyous about this action. What's Vahaya here? Where's the joy? Because you know what the ultimate joy is? Aliyah. Moving to Israel. There is no joy, there is no happiness, there is no fulfillment and deep inner satisfaction like dwelling in the land. That's what we say in Shira Malos, on Shabbos when we sing Shira Malos. When God returns and Shiva Tzion, when we have a yeshiva, when we dwell, when we have a, a um, we take up residence in Tzion, in Israel, so as Yamale Pinu, then our mouths will be filled with laughter. There will be no greater joy. Watch a video of a Nefesh Menefesh plane landing. See them coming down the stairs. Attend a ceremony of the Nefesh Benefesh plane. My brother made Aliyah this summer. I was in Israel when he made Aliyah. The, the, the walking on air, the happiness, the joy, it's unbelievable. That inner satisfaction. So that's what the Orachayim says. Vihaya is indeed Lashon Simcha. Where's the Simcha? Where's the joy? Kisavoyal Haaretz. When you come to Israel, by definition, there's a, sense of, there's a sense of joy. Okay, let's keep going. So what do you do? What's next? You come to the Kohen that will be in that time. And you say to him, I said today to God, I have come to the land that God swore to our forefathers to give to us. The Kohen takes the basket from your hand. And he lays it before the altar, before the Mizbeach. So, let me ask you. Asher Mahem, You come to the Kohen that's in your time? What are those words doing there? You come to the Kohen. Which other Kohen are you going to? The Kohen who lived 100 years before you? The Kohen is going to live 100 years from now? What other Kohen could you be going to? Why does the Pasuk say, You go to the Kohen, Asher Mahem, You go into the Kohen that's in, that day, in those days. Look at Rashi. Ein lecha ela Kohen shehu Torah is telling us something very important. You're going to the Kohen, we saw in last week's parsha, two weeks ago, Shoftim. The Torah uses that language to say that the leaders that you have in your generation are the leaders of the generation. You have what you have. Maybe they don't measure up against other generations. Maybe they're not nearly as great. Maybe they're much greater. But you have what you have, and where our attitude towards them needs to be that they are the leader, and therefore, whatever capacity um, they are to serve, they indeed must serve. Look at the Sif Sechachamim comments. What bothered Rashi? Why did he arrive at that? Even though you'll say, You're going to go and you're going to go, i got to do the ceremony before this Kohen. You know who this Kohen's grandfather was? He knew ten times as much. He was a hundred times smarter. He was a hundred times kinder. He was a hundred times better looking. He was a hundred times more athletic. Well, I have to go to this schnook of a Kohen. And I've got to say this whole thing to this schnook of a Kohen. Says the Torah, The Kohen you have in your time is your Kohen. You can take it a step further. The Gemara even says, 
the leaders are commensurate with the generation. If you think you're going to schnook, it's because you're a schnook. Right? So if you think your rabbi is an idiot, it's because you're an idiot. And if, if your grandfather had a greater rabbi, it's because your grandfather was greater and more deserving of a greater rabbi. So Asher Yebayamay Mahaim is a reflection of who you are. But that's what you have. That's what the Gemara, Gemara says. The Gemara says, Shmuel, uh, the Gemara says, um, it says, um, Yiftach Bedoro Kishmuel Bedoro. Yiftach was for his generation, which Shmuel is was for his generation. Yiftach was a, uh, not exactly the greatest leader. Yiftach was not the most noble, the most wise. But um, the Gemara says, Yiftach Bedoro Kishmuel Bedoro. Yiftach is for his generation, which Shmuel was for his generation. Shmuel is one of our greatest of all time. Of course, the response, Rabbi Shechter, Rabbi Herschel Shechter, another one of my Rabbi always uh, quotes. He says, you know, there's this whole Yiddish style of, of humor, which is only, <laughs> whatever, it's a style of humor, certainly not objectively humorous. But the, you know, the Pasuk says, V'chi yiftach ishpor, if a person opens a pit, you're liable. That's the Pasuk in Parshish Mishpatim. So when the Gemara says, Yiftach bedoro kishmuel bedoro, listen, Yiftach was inferior to Shmuel, but Yiftach is for his generation, which Shmuel is for his. But B'chi yiftach ishbor, but is Yiftach a, a, a shnuk? Yiftach is still, uh, was a great man. But anyway, so, so here too, Asher Yebayemahe means, you think your Kohen doesn't measure up? Too bad, he's your Kohen. Is there an expression in Yiddish? Can you say it in Yiddish? I don't know, I don't know what in Yiddish. Yiftach is an Ishbor? Of course not. It's not, of course, the Pasuk's not talking about Yiftach, the person. Pasuk meant if a person were to open a bore. But it's a, uh, it's a cute spin on words. So the Yusuf Sechachamim says, even though your Kohen's not, not so smart, you're going to say, I have to come and go through the ceremony where I have to show him such great deference, such great honor? The answer is yes. When you go into the Beis HaMikdash, you're in his house. He is the ambassador, he's the advocate, he represents God. So even though the ceremony is really you're presenting to God, he is the intermediary God has appointed. And it doesn't matter if you think he doesn't measure up, he's what you got. And you say to him, look at Rashi, what are you really saying to him beneath the surface? That you're not kafwe tov. What do the words kafwe tov mean? You're not ungrateful. You're not thankless. You're not unappreciative. You appreciate what Hashem has done and that's why you're there. What's the higadity? So we already saw the kliyaka. The kliyaka said higadity means just by my coming today I am already making a statement by being here right now. By having schlepped here and handing this to you, I'm making a statement. But that's not what the uh, Ibn Ezra says. The Ibn Ezra says, Sigarati hatam kedeshi You say it out loud. What are you saying? You're saying, I've come today to the land that God promised my forefathers. What do you have to say that for? That's kind of a bizarre thing to say. You're living in Israel. You come into Yerushalayim. You're bringing your first fruit. And the opening statement you make is, uh, I've, here's my statement. I've come to the land that God has given my forefathers. Why are you saying that? Says the Ibn Ezra, so that the children will hear. He says, Why are you making that statement? Because you're expressly you're affirming that God kept his promise. God promised my forefathers the land of Israel. I am here today to show, to exhibit that that promise is true. 
And what's the witness? My fig. My fig is witness that God promised my great-grandparents that we would one day have this land and there would be seven beautiful species. And here I am with my fig. I am here to testify that God keeps His promises. That God gave us this land. That's the Higadity. You know, Lashon Haggadah is testimony. Your Magid is you give testimony. So the Ibn Ezra understands Higadity. You're giving testimony that God keeps His promise. And that's why the first statement you make within your testimony is, God took us to the land that He swore, that He promised to our forefathers. Okay. Okay, Vaiti, right there. Next pasuk, Dalad. V'lakacha koin atanam yadecha. The coin takes it from your hand. V'hinicho, and he places it before the mizbeach of Hashem. V'anisa v'yamarta. Actually, one second. V'hinicho l'fnei mizbeach Hashem v'lakacha. Look at the Sforno. Ravavadi Sforno, pasuk Dalad. Laharos lahodia shabikurim lahuvu lakoin lahuvu lakel yisbarach v'unesanam lakoin imsharam matnas kahuna. Why is it? Why can't the Kohen hold on to it while you're now going to have this dialogue? Why does he put it down before the Mizbeach? That's clearly what was bothering the Sfarno. The Sfarno answers, by putting it down before the Mizbeach, you're showing that you didn't bring this to the Kohen. You're not here because the Kohen demanded it. You're here because of your relationship with Hashem. The Mizbeach represents Hashem. You put it in front of the Mizbeach to... to, uh, Demonstrate. Demonstrate, thank you, that you're really giving it to Hashem. Now Hashem allows it to go to the Kohen, the Bikurim go to the Kohen, it's part of the Matnas Kahuna, it's one of the priestly gifts, but that's Hashem's determination. But you're demonstrating by the Kohen putting it down in front of the Mizbeach that it's not really about the Kohen, you're really giving it to Hashem. Okay, so what happens next? Pasukei. V'anisa v'yamart lefnei Hashem anokecha. You say, V'anisa then you shall call out and you say before Hashem. What do you say? Arami Oved Avi Vayered Mitzrayim Avayagar Sham. An Aramean tried to destroy my forefather. He descended to Egypt. Vayagar Sham Bemsei Maat. And he lived there few in number. There were very few of us. Vayisham Lagoy Gadol Atzum Varav. But while we were there, we became a mighty nation. We became many. This is the Haggadah. And the Egyptians mistreated us and afflicted us, and they made us work very hard. They persecuted us. What did we do? We called out to God. God heard our voices. God heard our voices. He saw our affliction. He saw our trials. He saw the persecution, the oppression, the pressure that was being put on us. God took us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, an outstretched arm, and great wonders. But with miracles. And where did He take us? Right here, the land of Israel. He gave us this magnificent land that is flowing with milk and with honey. And now, now after all that history until this point, and I've arrived living in this land, I am bringing the first of my fruit that God gave me. And I'm placing it before God. You are to place it before God, and then you are to bow down before God. And finally, And then you will have joy 
in everything that God has given you. Can imagine my brother comes to Israel, he makes Aliyah, and now he finds a job. My brother happens to be learning a kolo, but let's say he had a job. I mean, he's an ER doctor, so he's going to be going back and forth. No, he's not looking for a job. He's going to be going back and forth to practice medicine. He's an ER doctor, and while he's there, he's learning. So he, uh, let's say he went and he had a job. My brother, my sister made Aliyah. Her husband's a lawyer. So let's say they make Aliyah, and he works as a lawyer, and he kills himself long hours, and he gets his first paycheck. And he comes to Yushalayim, and he hands it to the Kohen, and he says to the Kohen, he says, my grandparents survived the concentration camp. There was a people that wanted to destroy us. Six million of our people were killed. My great-grandparents, my aunts and uncles, were all murdered in cold blood. But God made us a promise that we would survive and that we would indeed multiply, that we would have a land of Israel, we would inherit it, and we would multiply in it, and we would be strong. And here I am, a fulfillment of that promise, and I am presenting to you my first paycheck. And now I will be happy, and I am joyous to be dwelling and living in the land that God promised, to see the promise come true, to be living the destiny of our people. I am giving you the first of my fruit, I am giving you my first paycheck, and I will now continue to work and continue to harvest and continue to live with all of the good that you, God, have given to us. Could you imagine the power of that ceremony? So what's going on here? We've got to go back and still, at least from a textual basis, we've got to analyze and dissect what's going on here. And of course you recognize this from the Haggadah. This is exactly what we incorporated into the Magid section of the Haggadah. We are this little ceremony of Bikurim that only applies to the farmer, not the banker, the lawyer, the doctor. This becomes the primary uh, focus the central point of the Haggadah. And what do we do in the Haggadah? We dissect every word. Vayareu means Vayanunu means this. Vanitzak Hashem means this. Vayersanyenu means this. Lachatzenu means this. We dissect. We have a whole parshanut in the, uh, in the Haggadah. That's what we do Seder night. That's when your stomach's beginning to growl. Where that little karpas wore off and now you're really getting hungry. And you're sitting there dissecting these psukim, going through a whole lashir that night around the Seder table. It's also the part of the Seder that we rush through. No one really understands. Kids, no kids have any Divrei Torah on this part. They've exhausted the Divrei Torah, Manashtana, and, uh, and uh, the Four Sons. And by now, it's like, okay, who can read this the fastest? That's who we assign the reading, so that we can get to the Motzi Matzah and the Mar. So, what's really going on here? What's happening? V'anisa v'yamarta. What does it mean, v'anisa v'yamarta? Why not just via Marta? Again, what I've tried to do through our class is create a sensitivity to the text. What is Vianisa via Marta? Vianisa via Marta. But what? So just say via Marta. Or just say Vianisa. What does Vianisa mean? Usually Vianisa means you answered. But you're not answering. You're not answering. Who asked you a question here? What was the question that you're answering? Say that again. Oh. So now you're continuing to answer. Good, except why formulate it in the answer as if you're responding? What are you responding to? You see, Richard, you're pointing out very well. First there's Higarati, Anisa, Veamarta. Three different verbs for speaking. Higarati, Anisa, Veamarta. Higarati, we saw the Ibn Ezra says, that's edus, that's testimony. Your being here today is testimony that God has fulfilled His promise that He gave to our forefathers that we would one day have this land. If we didn't have this land, you would not be here presenting your little fig. What is Vianisa? What's via Marta? So look at the Orachayim HaKadosh, Rabbi Chaim Benatar. 
אמר ואניסה, יש מפרשם לשון הסחלה, כמו ויען איוב. So some explain that ואניסה just means you are commencing your presentation. ואניסה means you're beginning to speak. I do hereby proclaim. Why do you say that? Just, just talk. Why does a person say that? I proclaim today. What are, you, what are you proclaiming anything? Because when you're making a statement, you are beginning the statement. So says the Rechaim, some understand V'anisa as, not the term to answer, to respond, but V'anisa means, I do hereby present. And then V'amarta, and I say, such and such and such and such. But V'efshar shehu oni, ka'adam pachos shekibel tova gedola, oni, Says the Orchaim, I, I prefer to see it as a different verb. Not Vianisa from the term One to answer, but what other root could you see the word being? Ani, a poor person. Vianisa means see yourself as poor, humble. Says the so again, the first interpretation was Vianisa Viamarta means I do hereby proclaim and I say my forefather was an Aramean, blah 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 blah. The Orchaim says, I don't think that's what it means. I think what it means is Vianisa, I humble myself. Viamarta and I say in my humility. <coughs> My forefather wandered and was small in number and failed God until God did a great kindness of liberating us and so on and so forth. So for the Yorchayim, V'anisa is not from to respond or to proclaim, but V'anisa means to be humbled. One should humble themselves and then say. That's V'anisa, V'amarta. Very interesting. Very interesting interpretation of the Kliyakar. Continuing. So you come and you say, Arami Ovid Avi. Okay, so now here, remember this for the Haggadah. Who's the Arami Ovid Avi? Lord. Translate the terms here. You come and in this declaration that you say when you're handing your little fig to the coin, in this declaration, what are you saying to him? Arami Ovid Avi. An Aramean, just translate the words. An Aramean, what is Ovid? And Oved means to destroy. An Aramean tried to destroy Avi, my father. When he came down to Egypt, and lived there small in number. So who is this Arami Oved Avi? So you ready? Look at Rashi. Says Rashi, Part of the Bikurim ceremony, if after all Bikurim ceremony is an exercise in humility and appreciation, understand what got you to this point where you came from? If you want to have a sense of appreciation, you have to have a sense of context. And to have a sense of context, you have to understand your own history. So the chaste amakam, the kindness of God. Arami Ovid Avi, Lavan. Says Rashi, who's this Aramean? Was Lavan. Bikesh Lakor Esakol. Kesherodav Achar Yaakov. Lavan pursued Yaakov. Yaakov married Lavan's daughters. Then Yaakov took the daughters in the middle of the night and said, we're out of here. Lavan pursued him and wanted to destroy him. Since Lavan intended on destroying, the Torah uh, treats it as if he destroyed. God's attitude towards the nations of the world is, if they intend on harming his children, 
he responds to them as if they actually did. So, suicide bombers try to infiltrate Israel. Thank God our incredible army and intelligence stops them. God will treat them as if they nevertheless did it. When it comes to us, God's not mitzarif machshav alamaisa, at least l'ra. When it comes to us, if we didn't carry out our negative thought, we're not accountable. But when it comes to the nations of the world, it's different. And therefore, even though Lava never ended up carrying out his goal of destroying Yaakov, because he intended to, God responds to him as if he did, holds him accountable as if he did. So for Rashi, who's this Arami? And who's Avi? Yaakov. And Aramean tried to destroy my father equals Lavan tried to destroy Yaakov. That's Rashi's interpretation. Says the Ibn Ezra. We'll look at the Svarno. We'll go to the Svarno. Says the Svarno. My father was Yaakov. He was an Aramean for some time. Because he had no place to dwell permanently. Because he was a wandering Aramean and had no permanent residence, he was not in a position to establish a nation that would be able to come and conquer the land. So for the Sforno, uh, who's the Arami Oved Avi? Is Yaakov. Not Lavan. Yaakov was... Arami, what's the other way of understanding the word Oved? Not to destroy. What do we say last week's parsha? Hashavas Aveda. What's the mitzvah of Hashavas Aveda? Mitzvah of returning a Aveda. What's an Aveda? A lost object. The word Aveda comes from lost. Oved could mean lost. Arami, Oved, a lost wandering Aramean, Avi, was my father Yaakov. And he ended up descending into Egypt where we were small in number. So not anti-Semitism, not someone trying to destroy us, but my forefather Yaakov was a wandering Aramean who was lost. I understand there's big differences in understanding this. Again, with consequences for the Haggadah, Haggadah night, what's really the, what are we trying to gain from the Haggadah night? Is this, are we placing the blame on Lavan? Or are we looking at Yaakov as having been wandering? And for Bikurim as well. So Rashi says, Arami Oved Avi, A, Aramean tried to destroy my father, equals, Lavan tried to destroy Yaakov. Sforna says, no, 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 no. An Aramean, a wandering Aramean, was my father, means Yaakov. Who's Lavan? Says the Rashbam, Shmuel ben Meir, Rashi's grandson. Avi Avraham, Arami Haya Oved, Vigola Me'eretz Aram. Where was Avram from? Aram Narayim. So who is Arami? Avraham. Avi, my father, is Avraham Arami. Haya Oved Vigola Me'eretz Aram. Kidichsiv Lech Lecha Me'artzacha. God sent him wandering from his hometown of Aram Narayim. He is the Aram, he is the Arami, he is the Aramean who's, who's wandering. Arami Oved. Avi, a wandering Aramean, is my father, not Yaakov, Avraham. Avraham. Right, or you could read it, Avraham went to Egypt, or Avraham's descendants went to Egypt. 
Okay, so what you have here is three different interpretations. Right? We go to the Seder night and we all assume Arami Aviravi is Lavan. Lavan tried to destroy. Not so simple. That's Rashi. Sfarno and the Ibn Ezra say it's Yaakov. And the Rashbam says it's Avraham. And for the Sfarno and the Rashbam, there's no, there's no, there's no enemy here that we're talking about. We're referring, we're reflecting about ourselves. Okay? So there's a little machlokas. Now, Vayered Mitzrayma, look at Rashi. First Lavan, again, consistent with Rashi is consistent with his interpretation. We went down to Egypt. Why are we mentioning going down to Egypt for Rashi? Because first Lavan tried to destroy us. And then in every generation, as we read in the Haggadah, now we understand why this is in the Haggadah. In every generation they try to destroy us. Lavan tried. And then in Mitzrayim they tried. And now Ahmadinejad is trying. In every generation they try. We went down with few numbers, says Rashi. How many to be exact? Shivim Nafash. We were 70. We were 70. Okay? And we were persecuted and we were oppressed and we struggled. And so on and so forth. And now, and now, God, you took us out with your mighty hand and your outstretched arm and you gave us this land. Eretz Zavas Chalav Udvash. It's a land which is flowing with milk and honey. I'll tell you a cute thing someone once told me. I don't know if it's true, but someone once told me. I call it the land flowing with milk and honey. So, someone in Israel once said, you know, all these Americans are so afraid to come to Israel. They say, I don't have a job. I have to line everything up first. I need a job, and I know what kids' schools my, my, uh, schools my kids will go to, and I need to know where I'm going to live, and I have to arrange and line everything up. When I know I'll have an income, and I know I can maintain my lifestyle, then I'll make Aliyah. Then I'll go to Israel. So he said, that's not how the land of Israel works. The land of Israel is Eretz Zavas Chalav Udvash. It's flowing with milk. What do you mean flowing with milk? Show me, where's the milk flowing in Israel? So, he said, you know what Pshad is? He says, imagine a woman would say, I can't have a child because I don't produce milk. What am I going to nurse this child with? How am I going to keep this child alive? I don't have milk. So therefore, I can't become pregnant. What would you say to the woman? You'd say, you don't know how it works. Become pregnant, and then your body will produce the milk you need in order to sustain the baby. Eretz Zavas Chalav, a land flowing with milk is an illusion. Come to Israel, and then you'll find the job. Come to Israel, and then things will work out. Now again, I don't know that this is true. I wouldn't make this promise. Nefesh Benefesh is not putting this on its literature. But it's an interesting shot. A land flowing with milk, just like a woman, can't say, I can't have the baby, let me have milk, and then I'll have the baby. Let me find my job, then I'll make Aliyah. No. Make the leap. Make Aliyah, move to Israel, and then the milk will be produced. The nourishment, the sustenance will later be produced. Anyway, so we come, and we bow before God, and we speak to God. Uh, look at the Sfarno Pasuk Tess. We come to this place that God gave us. When we left Egypt, we didn't have a homeland. We didn't have a place. And God gave us this land. This is our permanent place. It is a place flowing with milk and with honey. Then we said, now, I have now, what was the, what's the transition? So we stand before God with our little fig and we review Jewish history. Either Lavan tried to destroy my forefather or my forefathers were wandering. We ended up in Egypt, small in numbers. We were persecuted and oppressed. Here we are. They tried to destroy us. We survived. Okay, now I present God with my fig. What does one thing have to do with the other? Says the Rashbam, Because just like in my history, 
When I look back at my history, I realize your guiding hand. The only thing that saved us from Egypt, saved us from Lavan, saved us from every attempt systematically to annihilate us, was you, God. Why have I reviewed all of history? To remind myself of your guiding hand to bring me to today. So just like it is only due to your graciousness that I'm here today, so too it's only your generosity that I have this little fig today. Instead of a brick. Instead of a brick. So I review history in order to remind myself that lo al yadi It's not on my hand that I accomplish this. Ki It is through your kindness that I have it. In the 24th chapter of the book of Joshua, this is what Yehoshua reminds them. They cross the Jordan River, the Yard, and they come into Israel, they conquer the land, and Yehoshua reviews Jewish history. What's he reviewing Jewish history for? To remind them. Everything we went through, and everything we endured to come to today, don't neglect, don't dismiss, appreciate what got us to today. And just like Hashem was the guiding hand that got us to today, Hashem is the guiding hand that will get us to tomorrow. Don't neglect Him and don't forget Him. And then finally, Pasuk Yedalaf, V'samachta b'chol hatov. So this is what the Rashi says. Mikan amru, ein korem mikra bikurim, ela b'zman simcha. So you see from here that you can only accomplish, you only fulfill the mitzvah bikurim during a time of great joy. When, is, when, are the, when then are you eligible to fulfill the mitzvah bikurim? When do you bring your first fruit? Me'atzeres v'yadachag. Between Shavuos and Sukkot. That's the time to fulfill bikurim. Because that's when a person is gathering, harvesting their field and their fruit and their wine and their oil. But from Sukkot and on, you could bring your Bikurim, you no longer can recite this liturgy. The liturgy is designed for the time when you will be most happy. When are you happiest? You're happiest when your paycheck is the fattest. When is your paycheck the fattest? From the time of Shavu, from the time of the harvest. That's when it is the, the greatest. So this is a prerequisite to reciting this, is a sense of Simcha. You have to have Simcha. This is what I'm going to talk about, I think, on Rosh Hashanah. Simcha Sachayim. Unfortunately, this is is, I think, a challenge of our generation. We have more than every generation and we're more unhappy than any generation. People aren't happy. You don't see happiness. Where's the happiness? The simcha sachayim, a joy in life, a joy in living, a joy in marriage, a joy in parenting, a joy from your children, a joy in what we have, a joy in living a life of, an inspired life of Torah and mitzvahs. Where's the joy? Everything is a burden and everything is a pain and everything is an obstacle and everything is miserable and everything is wrong. Where's the Simcha Sachayim? So the Torah says, In order for you to say this, you have to feel Simcha. You bring your little fig, you come to the Beis HaMikdash, you present it to the coin, you review Jewish history, you understand what it took to get where you are, and boy, you should feel a sense of Simcha. Look at the, um, the Orachayim, and with this we'll end. Why doesn't the Pasuk say, And be happy with the good that you have. Why does it say bechol hatov? With all of the good. Because what are you happy about? Be happy with the source of all good. Who is the source of all good? The v'samachta is, why should you be happy? Bechol HaTov, because you have Hashem in your life. Bechol HaTov is an allusion to God. Tov would mean, be happy, 
because the Yankees are in first place by four games over the hated Red Sox. Be happy because, uh, you know, the stock market was up yesterday. Happy because you have a roof over your head and, and food in your mouth. Be happy with Tov means because identify the good and be happy with the good. Bechol HaTov, says the Orchai, means something different. Bechol HaTov means be happy with the source of all good. And who is the source of all good? Hashem. Be happy that you have a relationship with Hashem. Asher Nasan who gave you, your house, your family, so that's what I wanted to spend time with you this morning. If we would have had time, I would have continued. The next thing is the obligation of Miser, of taking, of taking uh, tithing. And there's a, a uh, ceremony here also, where you say, if you look at Pasuk Yudalad, when you bring the tithing, when you fulfill the tithing, there's something called vidoy meiser, the confession of the tithing. Here's what's interesting about this confession. Pasuk Yudalad, verse 14. What do you normally do with confession? What would one normally think of? Your image of confession. You're sitting opposite a screen, you've got the rabbi on the other side, you're telling him all the things that you've done wrong. No. Confession is normally admission of what I did wrong. Look at this confession, verse 14. You bring your food, you come before the God, you give your tithing and you say, Hey God, I did nothing wrong. That's your confession. What kind of confession is I did nothing wrong? So we're, about, we're in a period of confession. The Rambam says that you do not fulfill the mitzvah of tshuva. Repentance is, um, the prerequisite to repentance is vidui bidvaram. You have to confess with words. With words. One has to articulate confession. And if you don't confession, confess explicitly, you cannot repent. You cannot fulfill the mitzvah. A prerequisite to repentance, to tshuva, is confession. So you have to understand what confession is. And you can't understand confession is without looking at the confession of the tithing, because in confession of the tithing, you're not saying anything wrong. In fact, you say the opposite. Hey God, I did nothing wrong, and yet that's called confession. So obviously confession is not what we think it is. It must mean something different. I leave that to you to think about. Have a great Shabbos.